0: Hi, I'm Adam Russell, and I'm still the new director of the AI division at University of Southern California's Information Sciences Institute. That is to say, I'm still the director, and I'm still very new. Having started a couple of months ago, I've made it part of my mission to get to know all the humans behind the AI at ISI. In part because I came here to work with amazing people who are driven, sometimes you might even say called, to be in the mix of this technological and increasingly social inflection point but also in part because I realized early on that AI is very much about us as humans. The humans that we'll work with or be impacted by AI, of course, but also the humans who are, well, to to use a wholly unsatisfactory metaphor, in the garages and on the workforce, the humans who are creating and shaping the wide range of technologies that are being lumped under this term AI. It's my belief that we can't get a good sense of what AI is today, much less where it may be headed tomorrow without understanding these humans better not just what they're doing in AI or how, but perhaps to me more importantly, why? Why are they devoting the most precious resources any of us have, time and energy, to AI? I think appreciating the humans behind AI, the diversity of their experiences, their hopes, their fears, whether or not they can tell a good AI joke will be key to helping us increase the odds that this turbulent time leads to better societies, futures and well-being for all of us. My guest today is Katie Feltner. Uh, She's a PhD student at USC and working at ISI, which means she's probably one of the biggest reasons I'm at ISI, to do what I can as director to help brilliant young minds develop into world-class leaders in AI. Now, Katie, for the record, we've actually never met in person. And so you must sort of wonder, is this really the best way to meet somebody the first time on the podcast? Uh, Well, we're going to test that empirically, but I do appreciate you being here. And there is a method to this madness. Uh, Here's what I'm hoping to do and not do. So what I don't want to do is spend this podcast talking about all the gritty technical details, which are important, about your actual work in AI, right? So from my perspective, the world needs another technical deep dive AI podcast like it needs another season of Manimal. And if you don't know what that show was, you are lucky. Instead, I'm going to go old school anthropology on you, right? Which is say, I'm going to talk to you. So I'm going to ask you about your origin story. What about the space gets you out of bed? what worries you and excites you the most about AI, where you think AI is headed based on your experience, things you think other people should know about AI. Uh, and of course, we'll end with uh, a speed round qu- series of questions from the Russell Voigt test to verify that you are, in fact, human. So Katie Feldner, welcome. Thanks for being here. You ready to get started?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for for having me. Um, I'm really excited to get to talk with you.
0: <laughs> yeah, again, this is this is sort of me working uh smarter and harder in that I'm really excited to work with you. And given where we are, this is a perfect opportunity for me to understand uh more about you. And I'm and and so so I'm looking forward to this. So let's start with a thought experiment uh and go back in time to six-year-old Katie. Uh and I want to sit and watch you explain to your six-year-old self what you are doing in, in AI and maybe even why.
1: Well, Actually, for my sixth birthday, I got my first computer. So I would be pretty stoked about this, I think. I would tell myself that computers have their own languages that take people a long time to learn. And I work on helping computers write and speak the same way that people do so that they can be more useful to us. And I would also say that I specifically make sure that when the computers are writing and speaking like people do... They treat everybody the same way. And Mm. so I work to make sure that the computers are fair and nice to everyone.
0: Interesting. So let me, let me role play a little bit. Assume your, your six-year-old self, you know, has a five o'clock shadow in this case. Your six-year-old self says, "Well, well, how did that happen? I mean, why aren't, why aren't they fair? Why aren't they unbiased to begin with? What, you know, how, how could people let it go this long and end up here where we are now?
1: Well, there's two reasons for that. I think the first is computers learn from people and people have biases. Mm-hmm. Um, So some people don't think that everybody is equal or that everybody should be treated fairly. And sometimes the computers learn from them. The other thing is that, I don't know how to explain this well to my my six-year-old <laughs> self, but <laughs> sometimes sometimes the people who... Make these computers are more interested in selling them than making sure that they are as fair as possible. And as a grown up, I work on helping people understand what the problems are with the models that are out there.
0: Yeah, awesome. And your six year old self, I'm sure, will come to appreciate that sometimes just being able to understand the problem is the very most important first step, right? to to acknowledge that there's there's that problem. Okay, so there's a problem. you've come to to the fight, as it were, almost as kind of a superhero. What, what how would you describe if you had to what your kind of superpower is?
1: Um technical communication, okay? So I actually also have a humanities background. In my previous life, I was also a classics major and I worked in digital humanities. I was doing technical work, uh, I was writing software, but for a classics audience, and I was having to write papers and give talks to a classics audience. And these are like tweed coat academics who think that Microsoft Word is a little too new. And so working in that space really pushed me to get good at communicating why my technical work was important and what it could, what it could accomplish for, for you know downstream users, and I think that has really those technical communication skills have really been my my superpower, nice. and those communication skills, um, being able to just talk to people from different disciplines and explain in a way that everybody at the table can understand what I'm doing.
0: Uh, wow, we're gonna obviously being an anthropologist who's worked with ai and is now the director of vision i'm sympathetic to this notion of of aliens and the power that aliens have right not not colonizers but aliens who visit new worlds and understand that to solve the problems they care about they're going to need to learn new things and engage with new communities all right well let me let me riff off yeah. that though um so things seem to be coming at us in their own time but much much faster than i think many people appreciate it right uh, we're we're being surprised on a near daily basis as to what you know these these technologies can do while still staying calm, <laughs> what are you worried most about with AI?
1: So for me, the biggest thing I worry about is losing sight of immediate harm and immediate safety impacts hmm. as we think about really long-term safety and societal impacts. And so, I'm not interested in in a theoretical future, 10 billion years in the future, talking about people who don't exist yet. AI is deployed today. It is having effects on real people that exist today. Mm-hmm. And I think it is certainly more important to me to focus on understanding how this technology is is impacting the people that are being affected by it today than it mm-hmm. is people who might theoretically be affected by it in the future.
0: So going from there, we're going we're gonna to split. We're going to go to parallel universes. And one universe, I want to ask, where have you been most wrong about AI? Or what's been the most counterintuitive thing that you've learned uh, in AI? And then we'll return you to the other universe. So what, where have you been most wrong about AI?
1: Um it is it's often very counterintuitive for me how well models learn in a bottom up fashion because i tend to learn things in a very top down fashion what got me interested in language was taking latin and you know you sit there and you learn this is how the first declension nouns go this is how the second declension nouns go you learn all these rules and then you have to apply them whereas and so that's the way that I'm used to thinking about, about language. And for a long time, people thought that models had to learn in the same way that humans are in, in that way. But now models learn in this this very bottom-up way where they just induce rules from data or induce generalizations from data. And so it is, it's often counterintuitive for me to... To remember, like how much better these models are at inducing rules from data than than I am, and maybe humans in general are.
0: Gotcha. All right, that makes sense. So let's go back to the other parallel universe. And in this universe, you've uh, you've got a lot of money, and you have been given the opportunity to open a center for AI and mm, AI and mm. what what center would you start, and why?
1: um i would be focusing on like real time quick turnaround audits of released models and so a uh, a public record of how how different released models and commercial products are performing on bias benchmarks um mm-hmm. both at mm-hmm. release time and as they as they evolve because you know there's a lot of especially with like closed source models they're changing under the hood, and what it says on Monday might not be what it says on Friday.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So, um, are you a science fiction reader? Yes. Okay. Uh, what's what's this is going to be a complicated question. Um, but but we can make it simpler if necessary. Your center is wildly successful. Uh, as a result of the Katie Feltner Center for AI, and Moon, uh, what? what science fiction uh, scenario are we now inhabiting? because your center was successful? Um, what does right look like in your mind?
1: Yeah. So a lot of my favorite books are fairly pessimistic about AI. Right. right? The
0: dy- <laughs> dystopic <laughs> ones. Okay. Let's not go there.
1: Yeah. So I hope we're Let not me- inhabiting Dune. I hope we, you know, haven't Dune or foundation. I hope we haven't killed off all the robots I would say this is a cliche answer, but the Star Trek future is one that I am hopeful for where, you know, all human cultures and alien cultures can understand each other well and Mm -hmm. respect each other and collaborate with each other and be exploring our world both scientifically and, you know, anthropologically to when they're, you know, ready and warp capable, bring new civilizations into um, collaboration with us. And like specifically technology wise, I'm working more in the fairness space now, but I started out in machine translation and obviously like the universal translator is incredibly, incredibly cool. Yeah,
0: Even I, even here, right. Even here, I can tell you yeah. as an anthropologist, we, we use the same words and we mean very different things. And there's so much translation that's still required uh, even, even on earth. So, okay. What is, okay. So coming to it as you have, what do you think is a concept uh, or you know an interpretation of AI that's most misunderstood where, where do people go the most wrong with AI in your experience
1: so I'm gonna vol- borrow some language and some ideas from Emily Bender here this is not all original Katie Falkner thought great but
0: artists borrow or what is it? they say a good artist borrow great artist steal okay
1: I I think that people tend to anthropomorphize AI and specifically they they tend to assign it intents and motives that we don't have evidence it has if if a model says you're my best friend it doesn't have context on what it means to call someone a friend and it's not it doesn't have intent behind it in the same way that a human might when they call someone their Mm -hmm. best
0: friend but that's that's hard to do right when they're being set up to do that To appear to have these things and engage with us on that level.
1: Yeah, I am by no means above this advice. Like it is, it's difficult for me sometimes. Even like the language we use, you know, the model said or the model thinks. I don't think it is saying or thinking in the same way that we are.
0: No, it's, it's going to be tricky. Uh, you know, I have a, a personal love-hate relationship with my refrigerator, for example, uh, that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But but anyway, do you think technically though, projecting out that an AI can never be a best friend eventually? And and if so, uh, do you think that's something we should like accelerate and try to embrace or something we should, you know, pump the pedals and, and maybe fear a little bit?
1: I don't think that I would either f- embrace it or fear it necessarily friendship between humans is ideally rewarding for both people whereas if if it's a model that is running on some server in a basement somewhere it's essentially you know friendship as a service i can see the point in you know companionship as a service conversation as a service but i don't i don't think that true friendship is something that we can sell as a as a software service i do have concerns about some of the current products that exist in that space in particular i don't use snapchat anymore but i have younger cousins and i know that there's like a an ai you can converse with on there i've heard my cousins tell me that they and their friends have have you know Told, I forget what its name is, but whatever its name is, wildly personal information. And so I think that as much as I can, I can see value in AI companionship and AI conversation, privacy and transparency are paramount for any kind of close personal relationship with a model. I would you- not like to see friend models get used as a data harvesting
0: kind of tool. No, ideal. Yeah, understandably. Uh, to to ask quick questions: Would you rather uh, have AI generate all pop music from here on out, or create all new fashion trends going forward?
1: Definitely fashion trends. Like, I truly don't think models could come up with anything more nonsensical than whatever's coming out of TikTok these days. <laughs> like,
0: so we're already there. <laughs> That's right. Gotcha.
1: Uh, you know, maybe this is me showing my age. I'll be twenty-five next week, but I will wear low-rise flare jeans over my dead body. No, you hear that AI? <laughs> no way, I can convince me to wear we low-rise <laughs> <flare>
0: jeans.
1: <laughs> That's
0: a good, good uh, Terminator sequel coming up here. We have to come back in time to keep the AI from We're imposing. Bringing the back Riders. the
1: worst of early 2000s
0: fashion. <laughs> okay, so. Along those lines, and I I suspect you'll probably have some some thoughts on this, and this will be the last last question. Would you rather see AI surpass humans in creativity or in empathy? And I'll leave that to your interpretation.
1: You know, the the obvious answer as a fairness person is like, oh, of of course I want the AI to be empathetic. Mm -hmm. But we talked earlier that like I don't I don't think we have evidence that AI can be truly empathetic we can Mm. train it not to say mean things but i don't think there's any evidence that like genuine empathy is on the horizon and so i think i think what is more useful is creativity because Mm. ideation and brainstorming are somewhere that like humans and ai could could collaborate really effectively i think that that models have a way of have the opportunity to draw new connections that might not be mm-hmm. obvious to humans because we come into, you know, creative exercises with our, our own experiences. And so, you know, I was thinking about this. Models have a have a chance to help us in creativity because they've never been told, like, quit doodling and pay attention or quit reading that dragon book and pay attention. So models models don't come into... A creative exercise with maybe the same set of like biases toward practicality and usefulness that that humans do.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's that's right. Sometimes we talk about again aliens as being useful because they don't they don't know what questions not to ask, right? What's been drilled out of us from from previous experience. All right, well that that was a great note to wrap this up on, Katie. And and what can I say? Uh, this podcast is about the humans behind the AI, and you brought the human in a great way, and I, I do think it's helping us to grok more about AI too. So I look forward to continuing to work with you as a colleague, navigating our way through this what I call apocalyptic optimistic time to end up in a better place.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Um, you know, like any academic, I love talking about my work. I'll I'll do it to anybody at any opportunity, whether they ask for it or not. So.
0: All right. Well, thank you, listeners, uh, for once more tuning in to learn more about the, uh, the AI insiders, right? these humans behind ISI's AI. Please join us again because we will have more brave humans who will join us on the podcast uh, to continue to talk about their backgrounds, their experiences, and their why. Why are they in the space of AI? And how are they contributing to what I think is our ultimate goal, which is to create these systems of humans and AI to realize new futures that are better than ever, for all of us. Fight on.